One of my favorite series to date, Ghost Stories, is there's one thing I love. I love preaching about the Holy Spirit. I love preaching about the Holy Ghost because without the Holy Spirit, I'm not on this stage tonight. Without the Holy Spirit, my life is not where God has taken me. And so I'm very thankful for ghost stories, and I'm thankful that we're going to share them tonight. And we're going to talk about another ghost story that has changed the life of many people and has moved on into our generation. So if you're watching by live stream, welcome tonight. Glad to have you. Ghost stories, week number two. We're going to be in the Old Testament, but we'll finish up in the New Testament. So we'll start in the Old Testament. We'll do some types and shadows, and we'll carry back over to the New Testament. But let me tell you this. There are times that God will grant you the instructions of your life that are opposite of anything you've ever heard him tell you. There are times in life that you are going to reach a point and something's going to take place, a situation, a circumstance, everyday life doesn't have to be bad. It can be good and anything, but you're going to reach places in life where you're going to be calling on God for something and God's going to give you the opposite instruction of what he's ever gave you. Why does God do this? Because I believe that God wants to allow us to see the Holy Spirit moving in our favor. I believe that if we get so complacent with the way God moved last time and the way God instructed us last time, we'll miss the fact that the Holy Spirit is showing favor on our life this time. So I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 5 tonight, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17, verse 17. The Bible says, but the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, and the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the, in the valley of Rephim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will, I will doubtless deliver them, the Philistines, into your hand. Verse 20 says, And David came at Baalperazim, and David smote them there, and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon my enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baalperazim. And there they left their images, and David and his men burned them. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephim. And when David inquired of the Lord, listen to this, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come up upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee and smite the hosts of the Philistines. I know that was the King James Version, and you might have been tracking with me in your Bible, but I wanted to, to sound a little more spiritual tonight, so I pulled that one out. But David is fighting the Philistines. What is going on here is every time you see the Philistines in the Bible, it is, it is a shadow or a representation of the enemy against God's children. The Philistines was always after God's children. They wanted nothing good for God's children. They wanted to see them fall. They wanted to see them fail. They wanted to kill them. And David has been anointed king. Now, the Philistines have heard about this. The Bible says they heard that David, they didn't see the anointing, but they heard that David had been anointed king. Now, them understanding that, they know that David has received authority and David has received power because he has now been anointed. I'm going to tell you something tonight. Some of the things you face in your life are not because you're a bad person. It's because you have an anointing on your life and the enemy cannot stand to see a man or a woman that is anointed by God. So they heard that David was anointed. When they hear that David's anointed, they spread 
spread out in the valley. And David goes to God and says, what shall we do? So God tells him, he says, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go right now and you're going to fight them and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to deliver them into your hands. So the first battle, David goes down in the valley and they smite the Philistines and they give up all their images and their golden idols and they take them back with them. David's men pull them out the valley. But now they are headed back home. This is where it gets really interesting to me. David and his army is headed back home, and all of a sudden, they receive news that the Bible says, yet again. They had already defeated the Philistines, but the Bible says, yet again, that they have circled themselves and come back after David and his army. I want to tell you tonight that the devil does not take vacation. The devil does not have sabbaticals. The devil does not have rest that once you defeat him, he's coming back again. It says yet again, he came back after David. He had already been defeated. He had already lost the battle in the valley. But yet again, before David can even make it to his next stopping point, the enemy is back on David's trail. Now, David looks at God and he says, God, I, I know the fact of this. I know that it wasn't by my strength. It wasn't by my intelligence. It wasn't by my abilities. It wasn't by my gifts that we defeated them in the valley the first time. So if we're going to defeat them this time, I've got to look to you for a plan and I've got to look to you for an answer to fight this enemy once again. Now, this is what's so interesting is God says, David, David said, what shall we do? Shall we go forward or are you going to give them to us in our hands? And he says, no, you're not going to do that this time, David. David said, what are we going to do then? He says, you're going to go and you're going to find a compass and you're going to come around the enemy and you're going to find a mulberry tree. And you are going to rest under the mulberry tree and you're not going to move one inch until you hear the sound of marching in the top of the mulberry trees. He says, once you hear the sound of marching, then you will take a step and go towards the enemy because I have already sent my angels and my presence before you and the enemy will be defeated in front of you. God's telling David, he said, I'm going to do it this time. I just want you to be there, but I need you to listen to me and follow the plan. Can you imagine David going back to his army and saying, God is going to allow us to defeat the Philistines, but we got to go sit under the mulberry tree. <laughs> These guys are warriors. This is no joke to them. I can imagine them saying, David, how do we know when to move? Well, God said you're going to hear a sound in the top of the tree. Well, David, what does the sound sound like? Well, I don't know. Well, David, what are we listening for? I, I don't know. Then why are we sitting under the mulberry tree? We've already defeated them the first time. Why can't we take the battle and go defeat them the second time? Because what works the first time with God may not work the second time. Ask Moses. Moses is instructed to go and to strike the rock and it would yield up water for the children of Israel. And the first time he does it and the rock yields water, the second time he goes, the Bible tells him to speak to the rock and it would yield water. But Moses got a little frustrated and he smote the rock again and it cost him in his ministry because he tried to do what worked the first time that wasn't going to work the second time. Now, here's the thing. Even though he didn't do what he was supposed to, the Bible says that it still allowed the rock to yield water because just because I'm disobedient and rebellious does not mean God's not going to bring the blessing for the ones that he wanted to receive. So he allowed them to do it, but we can't just rely on what we've done in the past to work in the future. The whole thing about Moses and the rock was this, is that the first time it had to be smote, it had to be struck, it had to be hit because Jesus would die on the cross. He would be whipped, he would be beaten, and he would yield up the spirit of God, and it would yield up the water, the water of life. But then the second time he says, you're just going to have to speak to it because you only smite the Savior once. The first time you smite him and he yields, the second time you got a relationship with him and you speak to him and he provides. Moses couldn't grasp that and he made some critical decisions. So what am I trying to tell you tonight? We need to call on God for the plans of our life. We need to make sure that we're not trying to do something that worked in the past thinking it's going to work again. 
Not everything that works in the past works twice. The Bible says in Psalm 89, I've already read it to you before worship, but blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. The Bible says they walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. I want to tell you some sounds that I believe that mulberry tree was releasing tonight. And I believe the first sound that the mulberry tree was releasing was the sound of salvation. The Bible says that the word sound in the Hebrew used hundreds of times throughout the text of the Bible comes from the Hebrew word quol, which is Q-O-W-L. And it means to call aloud, to cry. It's a noise. It's a proclamation. It's to sing. It's a spark. It's a thunder. It's a voice. It means to yell. But it's the same word that are used in these scriptures. Listen to this. The same word that's used in Genesis 3 and 8 when the Bible says that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the midst of the cool day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's the very same word in 1 Kings 18 and 41 when Elijah says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. It's the same word in Deuteronomy 4 and 12 where the Lord spoke out to the, through the fire and he said to Moses, he said, you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And it's the same one in number seven where Moses enters the tent of the congregation or the tent of meeting or the tabernacle to speak with the Lord and he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubims above the atonement cover on the ark of the covenant the mercy seat in this way the Lord spoke to him well I'm just trying to tell you something tonight this sound is vital to your walk this sound that they're hearing this sound that David is waiting on this sound that's going to be moving in the top of the trees is vital to your walk we need to know tonight that this is a supernatural sound this isn't a sound that the tree makes on its own. This isn't a sound that David can make happen. This is a supernatural sound and the sound that only a child of God is privileged to hear. This is a sound that only a child of God is privileged to hear. But I want to show you something really quick before I preach the whole sound thing. This mulberry tree that they're sitting under, this mulberry tree would actually release or yield or produce fruit. What kind of sound the salvation produce? I don't know, pastor. Maybe it produces fruit in my life. Maybe when I'm saved, maybe when the sound of salvation has found me, that I yield up the fruit just like the mulberry tree. That when the sound comes and the, the wind is blowing and the tree is shaking, that I can hear the fruit being released from the tree. The Bible tells us, or, or history tells us, if you study that the mulberry tree, the fruit of these trees is used for a dying agent. It's used for many things. It made me think of something. When Jennifer and I went to California, they were wanting us to go to um, California and the pastor up by Fresno. So they flew us out to California, and they were, they were taking us around and showing us a tour of all the places in California. And I remember two things about California. I remember the fruit trees, and I remember when I got on the plane and got out of there. That's the only two things I remember because I was never going back to pastor unless God just picked me up, levitated me, and dropped me in Fresno. But we was there, and we're traveling down the road, and I see all these fruit trees. Man, there's rows and hundreds of them. And I asked the lady that was touring us and, and showing us the area, I said, how do they get all them fruit off the trees? And she said, I said, who picks these things? Who goes all day and picks them? By the time they get halfway down, they're going to be growing them again at the front. And she said, no, what they do is they take these machines and they shake the tree and it drops everything on the ground. Or they have some of them have linen things that they'll catch it. And then the people come behind it and they get it. What am I trying to tell you tonight? Pastor, why does my life seem to be shaking so much? Why does my life seem that every time it goes good, I start to feel a shaking? The shaking is what releases the fruit. 
The shaking in the tree, the shaking in your life is what releases the fruit. It's what yields the fruit. It's what produces the fruit. But the fruit that was on this tree is not just any fruit. It's, a, it, it's, it's used for medical things, but it's also a crimson red color. Yeah, it's a crimson red color. Every time I think about it, I think about the blood on the cross. I think about what Jesus done. I think about how he covered us. I think about how he, he made a way for us. But there's a sound that takes place, and that's what I want to preach to you tonight is there's a sound that takes place. God's telling us tonight that if we want to get the victory, if we want to see the victory in our life, we've got to get under the tree of salvation. We've got to get under the sound of salvation. We've got to get under that tree where Jesus died on the cross and, and shed his blood that when that life is shaken, when it was shaken, it, it dropped down and as it, it would hit them or they were sitting on that tree, that crimson would flow on top of them because mulberries was fragile. So if it fell from the tree and it hit David, it's got to bust. And it's got to show crimson on top of him. What he's saying is, is that that crimson under that tree, when you hear the sound of the angels in the top of the tree, he said, just sit there for a minute because the tree will be shaken and all the fruit and the yield is going to be, it's going to be yielded down. And when it hits you, it's going to cover you in that crimson. David, if you want victory, you're going to have to understand that God gives the victory. You're going to have to understand that it's only by the blood of Jesus that you have victory in your life. He's showing us this in just a simple analogy. There was a gentleman that I used to preach to in, in North Dakota, good friend of mine. Um, and every chance I had, I'd preach to him. They used to call me preacher. And I would preach to him all the time about his life and the things that he was doing. And he never wanted to hear it. And every time I thought I was getting close and that, and that the anointing was going to break through the yoke of his life, something in his life would happen. And then I'd have to back off of him a little bit because he's really fragile in the things going on. And one time he called me at about 3 o'clock in the morning. We was at North Dakota. And he said, man, I got to go. Preacher, I got to go. And I said, dude, where are you going? He said, well, he said, I, I got word that my wife's cheating on me in Texas. He said, I got to go home. And I said, man, were you leaving your cruise? And, and then God just spoke and said, just take care of everything. Let him go. So I told him, I said, I got everything for you. Go ahead and go home. He drove all the way through the night, 26 hours to his house, found his way, got home, found out it was true. His wife had been cheating on him. And I thought in that moment, I hadn't heard from him for three days. And I thought, good night, God. He's done killed himself. He, he'd already threatened to kill himself. I said, we done lost him. I ain't heard from him. But I knew that every time that I had preached the word to him that I would, I would retract, but the sound would remain. I knew that if we could only trust in the sound that something would happen in his life. Three days later, I get a phone call, and his phone number pops up on my phone, and he says, preacher. And I said, yeah. He said, meet me at the office. And I'm thinking, good night. This guy's going to kill me. He's done lost his mind. He done, his wife's cheating on him. He's not in the right mind. I don't really want to go meet him. So I said, all right, I get in the truck and I go to the office. And when I get out to my truck, he's got a big tall truck and I'm pretty short. So I said, if I just stick my head in, if he shoots at me or something, I make him get out the way. So I, I open the door of the truck and he's like, get in. And I'm thinking, no, man, I'm not getting in this truck. This guy is driving. He's lost his mind. I'm not getting in the truck. <clears throat> but I get in the truck and he's not looking at me and he had his hat real low. And the minute he turned to me, I could see tears running down his face. And he looked at me, and, he, and, and as loud as he could, big, big old Texas boy, he said, Preacher, tell me what I got to do. Tell me what I have to do for this life to change. I drove all the way back to North Dakota for you to tell me what I have to do for all of this to change. I know it's not going to go away, but what must I do for it to change? And I looked at him, and the only thing I could think in my mind was every time I walked away from him and I thought it was over, the sound was still ruffling in the top of the trees. That every time we preach to somebody, every time we testify, every time we witness, and it feels like it's falling on dead ground and they're not receiving it, you may walk away, but the 
sound remains. You may give another step away and think that it's not going to happen, but the sound of salvation will remain until they respond to the call. And I sat there and I thought, I said, God, you, you know what you're doing. But I'm telling you tonight, church, that many preachers say that if they believe that they could be there when the angels come across the top of the mulberry trees, that many writers believe that they could actually hear the footsteps of the angels. If you can hear the footstep of these angels, I'm telling you tonight that these fruit was falling and it was bursting on David and them and there was crimson all over them. And tonight, if you will allow the sound from heaven that is trying to invade your life to release the fruit in your life and allow that crimson to cover you and wash you, that you will find victory in every battle. And that's exactly what God was telling David. He, even in the Bible, it says, Cain, I hear the sound of thy brother's blood crying from beneath the ground. I hear the cry for help. I hear the cry, I hear the sound. And I'm telling you tonight that the blood is still crying from the ground. That Jesus, when he was put in that grave, the blood might have went below the ground. But there was a cry from that grave that reached heaven that allowed him to have resurrection power to resurrect his own life, to roll back his own stone, to walk out of his own grave, and to revive the lives of thousands and millions of people because today the blood still cries from the ground I believe it with all my heart that the blood is still crying from the ground but I don't believe that's the only calling we heard that night I believe that the sound of calling is something that we hear in this story with David that in John 6 and 44 the Bible says that no man can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up at the last day a fella told me one time he said pastor I'm gonna get saved when I want to get saved I said no you ain't he said, I make that decision when I want to. I said, no, you won't. I get saved if I want to right now. I said, no, you won't. He said, why? I said, because you ain't getting saved till you hear the sound of salvation, until you hear the Father draw you and call you to a place of salvation. You can't wake up on your own and say, I'm going to get saved today. You've got to have the Spirit of God drawing you to the Father. Jesus in his own words said it. He said, you can't come unless the Father draw you. We can't just decide that we wake up one day and everything's going to be fine. We don't just wake up and say, I'm going to be healed today, but I'm not saved. We don't wait. He said, the Father will draw you, and I'll raise them up in the last day. Deuteronomy 4 and 12, then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire, talking about Moses. He said, you heard the sounds of words, but you didn't see no form. Moses is looking at the burning bush, and he sees nothing but a sound. He hears it, but he can't see anything. There was only a voice. The same sound that, that calling from the burning bush to Moses is the same sound that calls you at salvation. What am I going to tell you? The same sound that called you at salvation is the same sound that's going to call you to another level with God. The sound does not stop at salvation. When I get saved and God has called me to the place of salvation, the Spirit of God has drawn me to himself. I have repented. I have got in the right standing with God. He's cleansed me of all unrighteousness. Now he will begin to call me to another level. He will begin to call me to do something else. Moses was being called at the burning bush to do something greater than he already was. It wasn't that Moses wasn't already a great man. It wasn't that he didn't already could do great things for God. He had already responded, but he was being called to something greater. And I believe tonight that God hadn't saved nobody to sit on the seat of a church. I don't believe God saved a single person to be sit on the seat of a church and say, hey, this is what I'm here to do. I believe that God has saved us with the sound and the call of salvation through his spirit and that God will call us to work. God will call us to service and to a calling in our life. At 15 years old, I thought this was interesting. I was sitting in an old Baptist church in Eunice, Louisiana, 
and uh, never really went to church. My aunt drugged me to church that Sunday, and I was sitting next to her, and we was about three rows back all the way to the left. I remember it like it was yesterday. And you got to know my aunt is, and her family were very involved in this church, like on the boards, loved their pastor to death. Got all these, I mean, they're doing all these things in the church, and this guy's preaching, and he's preaching and preaching. About 25 minutes into it, I look at my aunt. I leaned over. I said, I can out-preach that dude. Never been in church. <laughs> Ain't got nothing. I don't even know what's said. One word in the Bible. Couldn't tell you nothing, but I knew one thing. I was about to fall asleep. And I leaned over, and I said, I can out-preach that fellow right there. And my aunt looked at me like, you heathen, you ain't no way you can out-preach him. You barely even go to church. But let me tell you what that was at the age of 15. That was the first sound of salvation. That was the first sound that I heard God speaking to me about anything in my life. Whether it was arrogant or not, it was the first time I heard God speak to me. A couple years later, I find myself in an old backwood revival in a church over here in Caledonia, Mississippi. Never served God. Didn't want nothing to do with God. We was in a revival service, and a man gets to preaching. And I heard the same sound that I heard that day at 15 years old on the seat. I heard that sound that night at Revival when he was making the altar call. And I remember looking down in my hands thinking, boy, if you let go of this seat, you're going to have to make some decisions. If you let go of this seat, your life's going to have to change. You're not going to be the same Derek that you always wanted to be. And I knew in that moment that I had to make a decision. And the sound of salvation was calling and had such a grip on me that I let go of them seats and I went down to the altars and did it the old-fashioned way and knelt down and repented of my sins and asked God to forgive me and to save me and to use me for his glory. And I remember that night when he saved me that I heard the sound of salvation ruffling in the tops of my body. The same sound. And I remember in 2016 that the same sound of salvation. I was in North Dakota and Jennifer and I have been in evangelistic work all these years, and we was traveling, and I'd go home for two weeks, and I'd travel east coast, west coast preaching, and then I'd go back to work for two weeks. And I was sitting in my, I called it my little cabbage cotton, cottage cabin, whatever, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, God's calling me to something else. This ain't it. And the enemy's telling me, he says, Derek, but you make six figures. You are 20-something years old. You got the dream job that you'll never get again in your life. And I'm battling with it, and I said, man, God has called me to something else. There was a sound that was taking place in the room. And I remember calling my wife and I said, Jennifer, here's the deal. I'm finna quit. <laughs> and she said, quit what? I said, well, I don't have no habits, so I'm finna quit work. I'm gonna come home. I'm not gonna work no more up here. I'm gonna do something different. And she said, uh, you realize I'm not working right now? I said, yeah, but you finna realize I'm not gonna be working in about 10 minutes. But the whole time I get off the phone with her and we talk and we pray and everything's going good. And the minute I hung that phone up, the enemy got at me. And he said, man, you are lost your mind. You got kids. You ain't going to have insurance. You're not going to have an income. Your wife ain't working. What are you going to do? Just go start your own thing and just find out a way to work for God? And in my mind, I started thinking of all these things. And I was thinking, God, how am I going to pay my bills? God, what's going to happen with my insurance? What about my kids? God, what about my job? And this is the, the craziest story. This is my ghost story of all my whole life I'll never forget. I sat down in that recliner and I turned my TV on and Jensen Franklin was preaching. And the words out of this man's mouth, not one word before it, when the TV cut on, he said, I'm not worried about your family. I'm not worried about your finances. I'm not worried about your jobs. I'm not worried about your kids. I'm worrying about the calling in which I have called you. And if you don't respond, you'll miss the call. And I said, God, I'm in. I'm in. I grabbed the remote and cut TV off as fast as I could. And the next day, I thought it was going to be easier. And I got up and I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I could use another $30,000 for one hitch, so 
I got my truck up here. I got all my stuff up here. I'm going to fly home, and, and, and then I'm going I'm to come back next hitch and pack all my stuff up because I leave the next morning. I, I'm going to come back one more hitch. And God knew that if I came back, I wasn't leaving. So I've never, the whole time in five years that I worked in North Dakota, I never had issues with flights. I drive to the airport, getting ready to get on my flight. Mr. McBride, your flight's been delayed. And I'm thinking, what? Yep, you're probably not going to fly out today. Um, we'll, we'll check with you. Let us get your phone number. We'll let you know when the flight's ready. Okay. So I'm going home, and, and I'm going back to my little cabin, and, and I, I could just feel God saying, you need to send your stuff home. So I went back to my cabin, and I packed everything up everything in boxes and I went to UPS and I shipped them. I was living in Tennessee and I shipped them to Tennessee. And I had one thing holding me there and that was my truck. And I was like, well, still gotta come back and get my truck. And a guy walks in my office about that time and I'm, I'm packing my things up and he says, hey man, are you leaving? I said, yeah, I'm going home. He said, no, no, are you leaving? I said, yeah, but don't tell nobody. I gotta get my check, don't tell nobody. So he says, here's what I'd like to do. Can I rent your truck from you? Can I just pay your truck note? I, matter of fact, I'll pay double. Just leave it up here for me. Leave it up here. Leave it up here for me. And I remember thinking, what? And as soon as I looked at him in the eyes, this is, this is, this is one of them ghost stories. And I said, all right, I'll do it. My phone rang and it said, Mr. McBride, your flight's ready. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe in the sound of God and the calling on your life, you are missing out. If you don't believe that God is still sounding a voice and speaking to your life right now and God is still doing things, you are missing out. I think about that, that, that sound that God's making. David's sitting under this tree, and he says, David, when you hear the sound, just go. You know, sometimes we say, God, I hear the sound, but let me see it on the wall. God, God I see the sound, but send it in the mail. I, see the, I, see the, I, see the, I hear the sound, God, but, but let so-and-so call me and say this and say that, and then I'm going to respond to the sound. And God says, no, I said, when you hear the sound, David, not when I release the fruit from the tree, when you hear the sound of the ruffling in the top of the mulberry trees, now go because I've already prepared a way and I've already made a way for your life. You already have the victory. We need to hear this tonight, that if God is calling you and God is declaring a sound in your life, you need to make a move on the sound and not let the enemy have time to play with your mind. You got to learn to move when God says Move. There was things going on, and I believe the last thing is this, is the sound of the Spirit. Come on, Brother RJ. The sound of the Spirit. I believe that there was a sound of salvation. I believe there was a sound of the calling of God, service, and there's a sound of the Spirit in that tree. Second Samuel says that 5 and 24, he said, Let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the top of the mulberry trees. Listen to what it says in the King James. That then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee and smite the host of the Philistines. Listen to me, church. Bestir thyself. He said, stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Well, pastor, I'm waiting for God to move me. And God said, I'm waiting for you to stir yourself up. I'm, I'm waiting for, for God to move in my life. I'm waiting for him to move the mountain and the situation, pastor. But he said, bestir thyself. Stir yourself up. Stir your own life up. Stir your own spirit up. I learned something the other day. That sugar ain't what makes the coffee sweet. I learned it because I didn't have nothing to stir it with. And it tasted like coffee with no sugar until I got to the bottom. It's not that the spirit of God is not inside of us. We just ain't stirring him up. What makes the coffee sweet 
or the tea or the lemonade or whatever else you want to stir up, Kool-Aid if you're from Louisiana, is when you stir it. He said, bestir thyself. When you bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go before thee. But pastor, I'm waiting for God to move me. But God told David, he said, when you stir yourself, I'll move and you can move. But you got to stir yourself first. Advance. Attacks on people's life don't always mean bad things. Let, let me help you. The majority of the time that Christians are attacked is because you're doing the right thing. The enemy has no need to play on bad plays. If he's got somebody, he don't need to mess with them. That's wasted time in his pocket. Why would I mess with something I already got? Most of the time it's because you're doing something right and you don't want to see it stirred. Church, let me help you. They, they, were, they were waiting on this mulberry tree. And I believe that if they were asking David and saying, David, what are we listening for? Pastor, what sound are we listening for tonight? What are you trying to tell us tonight about sitting under the mulberry tree? I believe I'm telling you that God will save you, God will call you, and God will fill you with his spirit. But I believe that they were waiting not on just a sound, but they were waiting on heaven to invade earth. They were waiting on something to come out of heaven, the angels of God, that would make its way down into them trees and would make a ruffling that they would know when to go. How powerful to know that your God has a way to send angelic beings into your situation and to ruffle the spirit and stir the spirit that you can hear a sound and know when to respond. People say this, that, Pastor, I don't understand why y'all shout. Why y'all jump around? Why you dance? Why y'all get so excited? Why y'all preach so loud? Church don't have to be all that. Church is just getting there, hearing a good word, feeling good about it, and getting back home and getting back to my devotions and my Bible studies. And my only answer is this. The reason I shout the reason I, I worship the way I do, the reason I preach the way I do is because you may be hearing the lyrics of a song, but I'm hearing a sound from heaven that's invading earth and stirring a spirit on the inside that says you have to get out from under the mulberry tree. You have to make a move. You have to go forward with God, but you have to know that there's something stirring on the inside. People don't dance and shout because they're hearing the lyrics and they're not hearing the sound. What sound, Pastor? People come into church and they listen to the words, but they don't listen to the sound of salvation. They get saved and they sit on the seats for half their life and they don't listen to the sound of the calling to serve and, the, and to respond to God's ministry. And then when they do respond to the ministry, we get comfortable and complacent and we don't respond to the sound of the Spirit of God wanting to invade your life. USA, United States of America was attacked by Japan at Pearl Harbor. Everything we did as the United States, the Japanese knew exactly what we were about to do. They knew every move. They had decoded every radio call. They knew everything. Come to find out what had happened was is a lot of the Japanese that were breaking the code over the radio had been educated in the United States school systems. So they understood our language. They understood our code for things and they were breaking it. So before we could respond, they were setting up and responding to the attack. And we were being defeated like that. In February of 1942, a man named William Johnson comes on the scene. And he thought of this. He said, we've got to come up with a language they don't know. He said, they understand everything we teach. He said, but I know a language nobody knows. 
He said the Navajo Indian tribe, they speak their own language and it's never got off of the reservation. Nobody in the world at that time knew the language of the Navajo tribe. He said, if we can get 27 men from that tribe, and he said, I, he was a missionary, so he was raised on that tribe. He could communicate with them. And he said, if you can get me 27 men, I can tell them I know how to speak their language. They can relate over the radio. We can have a plan and we can turn this whole thing around. He said, we can decode it all and they can't fight us. And that's what they did. That took 27 men. I don't need the whole city of Columbus. I just need a few that say, I'll let the Spirit of God use me. I'll let God speak that language in my life because watch what the Bible says. John 16 and 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For I go not away. The Comforter will not come to you. But if I go, he said, I'll send him unto you. Luke, Luke 24 and 49 says, Behold, I send forth the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city, and you will be clothed with power from on high. What he's telling them is, I'm going to give you this supernatural power. I'm going to give you an anointing. I'm going to give you an ability to defeat the enemy. But we only see the power side of it. You cannot be a church that is only obsessed with the presence of the power. When I'm only obsessed with the presence of the power, I only respond to the manifestation of the service. And I don't take it in my life. But if I, if I want to go after the presence of the power, I have to go after the power of the presence. Which means that, yes, God needs to be in the service and the gifts need to be manifested and His Spirit needs to be manifested. But I know that when that happens, there's power that's going to change my life. And I've got to respond to the power of the presence. Which means I can't just live my life shouting, running, dancing, and speaking in tongues. I've got to change. I've got to do things different. I've got to let the power of the presence invade my life. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, or let's say it this, the Spirit moved in the top of the treetops. In the New Testament, it says that it invaded the upper room. In our life today, it invades your life. Acts 2, 1 through 4 says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Listen to this. Same word used in the Old Testament. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. This is where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The modern day church is pushing the Spirit of God out the church. When you push the Spirit of God out of the church, you do exactly what happened at Pearl Harbor. You allow Him to decode everything in your life. He knows every language you speak. He knows every word that comes from your mouth. The only thing that was holding Him back was the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 14 says that for anyone who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people but speak to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit of God. For anyone who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people. So laugh at me if you want to. Make fun at me if you want to because I speak in tongues. But I'm not speaking to you anyway. That language is for God. I'm speaking to God. It don't matter if they laugh. It don't matter what they think. It's not a language for people. It's a language for God. If it was for people, I'm going to speak to you in English so you can understand. And the enemy gets in it. That's where gossip and all these things come in. He understands that language. But when you begin to speak with an unknown tongue, he can't comprehend that. He can't hear that. He can't decode that. He can't get in the midst of it. Churches that are filled with the Spirit of God, that move according to the Spirit of God, the enemy cannot invade because he has no language for the code that they speak. 
But a church that only speaks in English and never seeks the Spirit of God and never seeks to be baptized and never speaks to be filled will be a church filled with gossip, a church filled with backbiting, a church filled with slender, a church filled with envy, a church filled with hate because the language that's spoken is the enemy's language and he plays on it. He said that these people, no one understands them. They utter mysteries. Can you imagine uttering mysteries? Can you imagine praying? And here we are in our prayer closet and I'm defeated, pastor. And my kids are struggling, pastor. And my life is struggling, pastor. And I'm praying, God help my kids and the enemy is playing on my mind because he hears my English. God help me, Lord. Just help my kids, help my marriage, help my finances. But I can say, God, you know what? I'm going to step away from this because I've sought you and you filled me. And I'm going to step into my secret language where we speak mysteries. And me and you is going to set up a plan between me and you for my kids. We're going to set up a plan for my life. We're going to set up a plan for my church. We're going to set up a plan for my finances. Because when I'm talking to you and I've got this language, he can't decode it. He can't play with my mind. It said the Spirit of God gave them the language. The modern day church will stay defeated as long as the language don't change. If we don't speak God's language, we will stay defeated. 1 Corinthians 14. I thank God. This is Paul speaking, the apostle. Let me remind you, Paul was not at the upper room. So all the ones that say it ended at the upper room, well, Paul wasn't there. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Watch him, listen. I'm fixing to help you. We're going we're to unconfuse some things tonight. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So we say, Pastor, tongues ain't important anymore because Paul said that he, even though he speaks more than everybody else, he'd rather speak this way. No, what he was saying was, if I speak it, you're not going to understand it anyway. He said, so what I'll do is, is before I come to church, I'll get in my own prayer closet and I'll speak a heavenly language and I'll speak in tongues and I'll pray in tongues and I'll get a message from you from God. And then I'm going to come to the church and I'm going to speak it in English so you can understand it. Because if I speak it in tongues, you won't know what I'm saying. Not that it's not important. He said, but I'm going to get it in my prayer closet and I'm going to take it to the house of God and I'm going to speak the message where you can understand it. Verse 21. In the law it is written, when men of other tongues and of other lips, he said, I'll speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Watch. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Church, we don't have anything to prove. We don't have to run around speaking in tongues to prove that to somebody. Listen, the tongues is about you and God. It's your prayer life. It's your prayer language. It's when you're in the car and you don't want the enemy in your conversation and you begin to pray in the spirit and you begin to worship in the spirit and you begin to talk in the spirit and he ain't got no way to get in to figure out what you're saying. You already believe. But people think this, that I gotta, I gotta, I gotta show everybody what it's about. No, 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 it's not that. Because that's only a part of the spirit of God. The power is what's important. The power to change, the power to be set free, the power to live right, the power to grow, the power to be sanctified, the power to cast out demons, the power to produce fruit of the Spirit of God. A few verses later in 39, he says, Wherefore, brother, covet the prophecy. Watch this. And forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. 
because God's not a God of confusion. But I love what Romans 8 says. In the same way, watch this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Can I tell you how encouraging it is when I hear somebody speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, worshiping in tongues? I could be having the worst day of my life and somebody, it's the most beautiful sound right next to you. And it's just an encouraging moment knowing that God is in the place, that God's Spirit is moving. Just to know it's in my weakest moment, it lifts me up. Just to know that I can be down today and I can get in the car and I, and, I can, and I can pray in the Spirit of God and say, God, it's just me and you right now. Nobody else involved. Just me and you. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Watch this. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In verse 28, he says, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But he finishes the scripture and he says, but the spirit intercedes on behalf of us. The Holy Spirit takes over because he knows what needs to be prayed for. Now watch. Pastor, I got confusion in my life. I've got confusion in my calling. I got confusion in my walk and my understanding. They did too. They said, we don't know what to pray. And he said, but the spirit will intercede on your behalf if you let him. Now watch what happens in verse 28. <laughs> Just one verse later. First he said, we don't know what to pray. But then the Spirit arises on the scene. And the Spirit begins to utter the prayer. And the Spirit begins to speak to God. And all of a sudden in verse 28 says, we now know that all things work together for the good for those who love God. I started my prayer meeting with God. I didn't know a thing. I didn't even know what to pray. But I came out of there knowing that all things are working good to God. I don't know what I prayed. I don't know what was going on in the room. But I know that the Spirit of God came into my life. Heaven invaded my space. Heaven invaded my, my heart. Heaven took over my voice. Heaven took over my tongue. And I got every prayer to God that I needed to that God seen beneficial for that moment. It's time for the church to open their mouth and be filled with the Spirit and close their mouth to the things of the world. You will never, never, never complete kingdom work until the Spirit has control of the mouth. The Bible says there's one thing that a man cannot control, and that's his tongue. I don't understand, Pastor, why we got to speak in tongues. Why not? Why not heaven invade earth? And the only thing the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation that a man cannot control is his tongue. Why not God come down and heaven invade earth and he take complete control over the one thing that a man can't control to show everybody in the room that God is in control because his word says man can't do that. Man can't even control his own tongue. But the spirit and the presence and power of God can invade the room and invade the life and now he's taken over. Why not tongues? Paul came to 10 disciples of John. Every one of them was saved and baptized. And he asked them a question. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said something that most modern day churches would probably say today in their own words. We don't even so much know there is a Holy Ghost. The Bible says he lays his hand on them and the spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Church, it did not stop in Acts. Acts chapter 10, Peter comes to Cornelius' house. And the Bible says that when he prayed for him, that the Spirit 
fell on the house. I'm praying that the Spirit will fall on the house. That we'll open our mouth and begin to let God have control of our words. That we'll open our mouth and let God have control of the voice. Stand with me tonight. David, get under the mulberry tree. David, get under the mulberry tree. David, you got to get under the place where a shaking takes. The fruit will fall. It'll release. It'll yield. And the crimson will cover you. Then you can go. We can't go another step with God in our life until the crimson has covered us. When the shaking in the top of the mulberry tree. I believe with all my heart tonight, there's a sound of shaking. Your mulberry tree's right here. Right here. It's the battlefield. I believe there's a sound of shaking in our mulberry tree tonight. That says, God, we need to yield. We need to yield our voice to you. God, we need you to take control. We want something that the enemy cannot decode. We want a prayer life that brings victory. We want a worship life that brings victory. But pastor, it's not mandatory for heaven. You're right. So you're going to live miserable on earth? I don't have to speak in tongues. I don't have to be filled with the spirit of God. I don't have to be baptized. You don't to make heaven. You just have to be saved. You just have to repent. But you're going to waste all these years on earth living a miserable life because the enemy is decoding everything in your life and he's one step ahead of you everywhere you go? Are you going to say, God, let me have it. Change my language. Change my code. That way I know that when the shaking comes and the sound moves through the trees and the Bible says that they was in the upper room and the sound of a wind, the sound, it wasn't a wind, it was the sound of a wind moved and they were filled with the Spirit of God. Help me, God, to hear the sound. Give me a heavenly language. Give me something that lifts me in my point of weakness. Yes, your strength is perfect. But God, listen to me, church. The modern day church is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But it's not for in the service. It can be for in the service. But yes, it's mostly used in our personal life. But just because it's mostly used in our personal life don't mean you throw it out to church. Prophetic voices are still available. Prophecy is still real. Interpretation of tongues is still real. Divine messages from heaven are still real. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but there's nothing like standing in a room and babies are crying and kids are moving everywhere and all of a sudden complete silence takes over the room and the baby couldn't speak if it wanted to and nobody could drop a thing in the room if they wanted to and nobody can move if they wanted to and the spirit of God leaves heaven and invades earth right in the room and through a vessel 
God speaks a message to a people that is interpreted. Man can't even make that happen. We can't even make our own kids be quiet. How are we going to make the whole room be quiet? The Spirit of God. Heaven needs to invade the church. Ghost stories happen when heaven invades the church. These altars are open, I believe, tonight if we can get in a moment with God and say, I'm not worried about nobody around me, Pastor. I'm going to open my mouth tonight. And I'm going to tell God, fill me with something that will release me to the purpose in your kingdom. Fill me with something tonight, God. A sound that will yield the fruit of my life. Fill me with your spirit tonight, God, that will produce the fruit that is necessary to fulfill the calling. The one thing, God, that we struggle to control in our life, let your spirit take control of it. Give us a new language. Start right here in midweek service tonight, God. Let heaven invade this room. So what if we leave late? So what if we seek till our knees hurt? So what if we cry out till we don't have a voice? So what if we cry till tears can't fall no more? God, change our language. Lord, let heaven invade this place. Let us hear the sound of the ruffling in the trees tonight, oh God. Let your spirit take control. 